Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Look at this. Isn't this awesome? Praise Jesus, right? So it's so good to see each and every one of you after what? How's it, what's it been? Seven weeks? Eight weeks? Or whatever it's been. It's been way too long. I can tell you that right now. But anyway, we're so glad to see each and every one of you here this morning. And, uh, and I see everybody kind of getting in their places that they need to sit and all that stuff. You guys are very good. So, hey, everybody waving online. We've got to like to see you guys. Hey, man. Good. Thank you for joining us, those of you that are at home. We're so uh, glad that each and every one of you are here on this Lord's Day. And I'm so excited, so excited. So, hey, let's all stand. Let's worship the Lord here this morning in spirit and in truth. Y'all ready to sing? Sing loud and proud. Here we go. One, two, three, four. Yeah, put your hands together. Here we go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. With all your
She wants to share with you this morning. Morning, Sister Julie. Good morning. Good morning, Good church to family. See you. If y'all are as happy as I am, let's give a big <laughs> shout of hallelujah this morning that we get to be together. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We'd like to welcome our guests. Welcome, first-time guests. Please fill out the card in the pew that has the beautiful picture of Pastor Phil and his lovely wife Denine. That's the welcome card. If you would, please fill that out and drop it off in the lobby on your way out. Um, also, we'd like for you to be in prayer over everything that Christ is doing here at the Hills Campus. Does everybody have their Sunday paper? Amen. Right. Perfect, perfect. We want to announce that the um, Celebrate Recovery will begin on June the 8th from 7 to 9 p.m. Um, at this point, just want to remind everybody we will not be having child care services and we will not be offering food at this point. We will have the meetings, so just please, if you want, please attend that. And then Wednesday night bubble study with Gary Beller, uh, uh, Bueller will begin at 6.30 p.m. And also the Women of Worth will also be on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. in the fellowship hall in the large room. On Saturday, June the 6th at 11 o'clock a.m. will be a home-going service for Ed Calgany. So please, if you would like, please attend that service as well. And that is it for announcements. Thank you very much. Amen. Hey, somebody's calling you, Sister Lois. Is that you? <laughs> but anyway, hey, listen, that's awesome, man. So, hey, we're going to start getting back into... Um, a little bit of normality hopefully it'll take a little bit of time and this and that to do that and uh, so uh, now listen but here's the biggest thing that we can do right now and it's something that we need we need to really do is to really pray pray for what's going on with the virus right and then just thank the lord that we're able to be together today but listen man we've got to pray for our nation man it's such a mess such a mess and we're going to talk a little bit further about that here later on but but listen i want us to just uh go to the Lord in prayer right now. I just want to take this time out. And I want to pray for now. I know Franklin Graham put out a thing for churches all over the country to pray for our nation. And our nation needs prayer. Don't you believe that? It needs, there needs to be a change. There needs to be a revival take place. And maybe this will be something that will be the beginning of it. You know, and it has to start with us. The revival has to start with you and me. We have to start. We got we to gotta sometimes, even myself, I got to notify my face that I'm a Jesus lover, right? So <laughs> sometimes you just have to do that, right? And not look at all the bad stuff. But hey, listen, be the light into the world. Be salt and light. Jesus told us to be salt and light. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what we see, no matter how we feel, listen, we need to be salt and light. And I know it's hard to have a smile button all the time. But listen, with Jesus' help, well, you can do anything, right? And so I just want to encourage you in that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we pray for our nation, uh, pray for our churches, pray for our cities that are being ravaged tonight and uh, uh, the past few nights. Father, we just humble ourselves in your holy presence. Lord, we, we're so grateful that we can be in the house of the Lord this morning. And God, and we can worship you in spirit and in truth. 
And Lord, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we humble ourselves in such a way to know that, God, when we bow our head and close our eyes, Lord, that uh, we have an almighty God that sits at the Father's right hand, and Lord, he turns and sends a listening ear leaning our way. And so, Father, we thank you that you're listening to us this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are on the throne, that you are seeing everything that was on. There's nothing, Lord, that you don't see that happens on this planet. And, Father, you know our hearts. You know our hearts break for our nation. Our hearts break for what's going on. Our hearts break for the innocence of people who are being ravaged. We're, our hearts break for those who are the perpetrator. Our heart breaks for them because, Lord, they need you desperately. Lord, they're living, uh, Lord, just opposite as unbelievers would naturally live. They do just what they feel is the right thing to do. But, Lord, it is so the wrong thing. And, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would touch every circumstance and every situation across our land, across the world, Father, Lord, that, Lord, there is no place for racism. Lord, there's one race, and it's called the human race. It's the race that you created. You didn't create all these other things, Lord. We are the human race created in the image of God. And somehow America and the world has to see that and quit separating themselves uh, from among other people and things. And, Lord, I just pray that you would just uh, come on us. Lord, help us to repent. Help us to turn from our wicked ways. Help us to do that. And, Lord, that's the only way that our land will be healed. We've got to turn around. We've got to do an about face. We've got to repent. We've got to chase after you, God. And, Lord, we as a church have to stand up, Lord, Lord, to know that we are triumphant. No matter what we see, what we face, what we feel, Lord, that we are triumphant. Because, Lord Jesus, you're our king. You're our father. You're our high priest. You're everything to us, God. And, Lord, we can trust you no matter what circumstance we're in. And, Lord, the victory is ours this morning because of you, Jesus. Not anything that anyone of us can do and father i praise you for that this morning oh lord i thank you lord i cry out we cry out for our nation lord this morning we cry out for those who feel like there's injustice in their lives and father we want to see justice served in every aspect whether it's in law enforcement or it's in just the citizens that live or the ones that are doing the writing lord there needs to be justice across the board and lord give us protect our law enforcement officials lord they're the ones they're facing they're facing the blunt of this, Lord, this morning, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would protect all of our law enforcement and responders and first responders and everybody, God, out there. Lord, protect them, Lord. Lord, just cover over them, Lord, with your protective hands, Lord. And we give you praise. We thank you for this morning, Lord, that we can speak the name of Jesus in total freedom, God. And know that, you, that we are free indeed because of what you've done. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's here this morning. I thank you for those that are online at home, didn't feel they could be here this morning. I lift up Rondella to you. She had some serious stomach issues this morning. I pray, God, that you bless her at home as she's gone back home. And Father, just be with each and every one of us, God. Help us to be mindful of other people as we're mindful of you. And Father, Lord, and get our less off of ourselves and more on you and on others. And God, we give you praise for it all, for it's in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said what? Amen. amen, amen. Come on, let's stand. Here we go. One, two, three, four. Been a long time. Let me hear y'all sing loud.
Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this time together. We can finally get back together and worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord Jesus. We're so grateful, Father, for how you've looked out for us, how you've taken care of us. Lord, have you washed out for us these last seven weeks? How you've kept us from the virus, Lord? Have you kept us from having to suffer through that? And, and Lord, we've had a lot of different things happen uh, over the seven weeks and different ones leaving like Brother Tim Balin going home to be with you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, many different things that have taken place. And as I think about Brother Lloyd, and think about Brother Ed, and I think about all these different things that are taking place, Father Lord, and we just give you praise we give you honor, we give you glory for everything that you're doing, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, as we dedicate this time to you, God, that you would encourage us, that you would help us, Lord, to um, stay close to you, dear Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, for it. I pray, Lord, as I go into the message this morning, that, um, that uh, you can go ahead, Lord, and just uh, speak, Lord, through my heart this morning, God. Speak, Lord, what you've been speaking to me, God. Lord, let it be conveyed to each and one of our ears and each one of our souls. Lord, we just give you praise. We give you honor and glory. If there's someone out there that's not saved, Lord, I pray, whether it's online or in the house of the Lord this morning, God, that you'd already have been preparing their heart to receive Lord Jesus as their Savior. Let's receive you, God, that they would be bought brand new, Father Lord, by the blood of Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and all that you're fixing to do here this morning. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said what? Amen. amen, amen. Hey, let's give it up for our praise team. Praise team, praise team. So good to have you all back here again. It's so good, it's so good. So if you have your Bibles, we're in the book of what? <laughs> That's our Acts. Everybody have your note sheets? 
Everybody's got their note sheets this morning? All right, very good. If you don't have any, raise your hand. An usher will get one for you. Oh, we got a few over here, ushers, that don't have note sheets. We got several that don't have note sheets. Where's my ushers at? Okay. They were out there on the podium in the foyer, just in case if nobody saw them. So we're going to get them for you, but that's all right. You'll need them here later on. So when they come back in, we just raise your hand and just get their attention. You won't disturb me whatsoever. But anyway, I'm just grateful to God to have somebody to preach to this morning. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, these pews didn't say amen not one time. <laughs> not one time did I see a pew stand up and shout, glory! <laughs> I never saw that. I never saw that at all. So I'm just so grateful that, you know how hard that is? I mean, you ever... You ever talk to yourself? I mean, you know, if you talk to yourself, you're crazy, okay? I just want you to know that right up front. Your pastor, if you talk to yourself, something isn't right. Something's not going on there that should be good. But anyway, you know, I'm just so appreciative of what God is doing. And I'm sorry, Cameron, I'll try to stay if I can't help myself and stay right here. But anyway, I just appreciate the fact that you guys are here this morning. I appreciate the fact that you guys were watching online. Did you guys enjoy the online as we were trying to do the best we could? Listen, thank Brother Danny Bachman in the back back there who was just so instrumental. I mean, man, I mean, I took you to Rome. We took you to the Colosseum. There's one hand over here. I uh, took you to Colosseum. You saw some Roman soldiers. You saw some shields and some swords and some helmets that got bigger. And I thought if he could put it on Sister Denine, that would have been cool. So anyway, but anyway, but anyway, it was just a, it was a great time for us to be able to share. And I got to the point, I didn't have anybody out here, so I was sitting down at a table. I said, but man, I can't sit at a table today. I just can't, I can't be still because, man, God is just in me, and I just want us to worship him. I want us to hear his word this morning, all right? You guys ready to hear the word this morning? Acts 25. Hey, we're almost there. Amen? We're almost there. We're in Acts 25. And so if you remember last week, we talked about um, Felix. Remember Felix last week and the Apostle Paul, and he's in jail and all this stuff. And then Felix kind of leaves Paul and says, well, you know, just uh, go for another time. And so two years pass, and Paul goes up and he ministers to Felix on several occasions trying to share the gospel, get him to change his heart, get him to change his mind, get him to hear about Jesus Christ and be saved. I think we have some down front here too, brother. And so, and so we're going to do that. And so it's just, you know, and you see where Paul is just going through all these things. trying. And for two years, that's the only thing we know about Paul is that he was repeating the word of God to Felix. And obviously Felix was not taking the bait, right? He was not listening to it at all. And so now we pick up and Felix is actually has left, and now we have a new governor by the name of Festus that has come in. And this is where we pick up on Acts 25, starting in verse 1. Here's what the Word of God says. Three days after Festus arrived in the province, it says he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. All right? Here we have Festus arriving on the scene. He is the new guy, the new governor on the block. He is the new guy, right? Transition, listen, there's a transition taking place from Felix to Festus, all right? And that's who it is. And he has to go to Rome uh, to meet with, uh, in fact, Felix had to go to Rome to meet with the Caesar there. And listen, and the Caesar, you know who the Caesar was at that time? Somebody take a guess. Who was it? Nero. Exactly right. It was Nero. 
And Nero was no hero, let me tell you. Nero was not a hero. Nero was despicable, man. He's the one that caused Christians, what? To be eaten by lions. He's the ones that would take people and impale them on stakes and light them on fire. I, I can't even imagine. That's, that's the most heinous thing I can even think of or even imagine. I, can't even, I don't even want to think about it, you know? But this is how depraved man can be. This is what man can do uh, when he's being led by the devil. And so I hope everybody here is led by the devil. Amen? And we're going to stomp on your head. No, I'm just kidding. But, say, but listen, we're stomp on the devil's head. That's what we do, right? And so Festus is appointed, and Felix just has to go. He's got to go. And you know what? And I don't think this was a good thing for Felix. In fact, you never hear of Felix ever again. So he's gone, right? He's gone for good. Festus is there to do one thing. He is to soften the relationship between who? Between the Romans and between the Hebrew people. That's why, that's why Festus is brought in to do that. We know the result as history is played out uh, with the war between Rome and the Jews, right? Uh, by the historian Josephus wrote about it. And listen to this, folks. 1.1 million Jews died during that, that war. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. You know, the Jews have been through a lot. Would you say amen to that? They have been through a lot, right? And so as we go on, it says, Caesarea, if you remember, it is where the leaders of Rome, they lived, right along the sea. They, they, they were the beach people, and they loved the beaches, right? While the Hebrews lived in Jerusalem where the mountains were, right? And so that's kind of a way to think of it. That's kind of like what, what happened there. So they did that. And Festus here travels to Jerusalem. And remember, two years has transpired, right? From the last week, Paul getting uh, to share the gospel with Felix on multiple occasions. So, so here, two years has passed. And look what happens when the new guy goes into Jerusalem to meet the high priest and all the Jewish leadership, right? We see Festus in Jerusalem. And look at the first question. Look at what's going on right there in verse 2. It says, then the chief priest, right, and the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him. And they appealed, asking him, uh, to do them a favor against Paul that he might summon him to Jerusalem. They were preparing an ambush along the road to kill him. Did we not hear this before? Two years prior, they said the same thing. Listen to Felix, the same thing. And here that two years later, they haven't forgotten it. And it's the first thing that they deal with Festus about is concerning Paul. The Jews, uh, listen, wanted favor, wanted the favor of Festus so they could kill Paul. Forget their Ten Commandments. Kill Paul, right? Thou shalt not kill, right? And so, so let's read on, verse 4. It says, however, Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was about to go there shortly. Isn't that awesome? I said the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. Remember, God told, already told Paul, Jesus already told Paul that he was going to go where? To Rome. So all this is setting that stage for the very thing, as we'll see here later on. So Festus catches on. You know, he's no dummy. He's, a, he's like a Harvard graduate here. He is a lot smarter than Felix was. Festus was a smart cookie, right? And he could, he could read between the lines of what was going on. So he decides that, no, I think I want to leave Paul in Caesarea. And, and listen, by the way, he says in verse 5, Therefore he said, let the men of authority among you, right, Ananias and all the crowd, go down with me and accuse him. If there is any, any wrong in this man. And so, listen, it's not over yet. Two years, two years. And they want to do the same thing as they did before. Look at verse 6. 
It says, when he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them in Jerusalem, he went down to Caesarea, right? The next day, he seated at the judge's bench. He commanded Paul to be brought in. And when he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges uh, that they were not able to prove. No different than before. You think after two years, they would have got their story together right. They would have caught up something that they could prove. But there was nothing they could prove. Talk about the sovereignty of God over Paul. Man, we're seeing it here. And he's the same sovereign God over you and me. And let us not forget that as we read on here, okay? So we do. They could not prove anything. This is a kangaroo court. That's what it is. It's a kangaroo court. And here's where the weird things start to happen. It gets a little weird here. Look at verses 8. In 8 it says, While Paul made the defense that neither against the Jewish law nor against the temple nor against Caesar have I sinned at all. And then Festus wanting to do a favor for the Jews because, you know, when the new guy comes on the block, you know, the new guy's going to get tested out by everybody, right? The new guy's going to get tested out and to see if he'll bend, to see who he'll favor, not favor, this and that. You know, sometimes it happens with preachers and churches, you know. The new guy comes on, they try to see, well, how's he going to sway? Which way is he going to go, Right? But here's the thing, I'm going to go the way of the Lord, right? That's, that's the only way, that's the only way. And so, but here, uh, they're trying to set this man up, Festus, right? They try to set him up. And so, and so Paul, he, he doesn't like what he's here. That Festus, wanting to do a favor for the Jews, replied to Paul. And this is what he goes to Paul. He says, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem there to be tried before me on these charges? Paul, are you willing to do that? <laughs> and Paul Absolutely does not like what he sees. He does not like what's going on here. He sees it's a messed up setup. That's what it is. It's a messed up setup. He's being set up. And this is what's going on. He sees it against Paul. And, and he can see it. So let's see. Paul uh, pull his, uh, what is it he pulls? His Roman what? His Roman card. Look, he pulls his Roman card right here. He does it right here. Verse 10. But Paul said, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal. Where I ought to be tried, I have done no wrong to the Jews, as even you can see very well. If then I am doing wrong or have done anything deserving of death, I do not refuse to die. But if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give, uh, give, give me up to them. And he says, I appeal to who? To Caesar. Now think about it. This is Paul. He says, I appeal to who? Caesar, right? So after Festus conferred with his council, he replied, you have appealed to Caesar. And to Caesar, he says, you will go. Here's a fulfillment of prophecy. He's fixing to go to Rome, just like Jesus said he would go, right? A Roman citizen in court could always appeal to the high supreme court of Rome. They could always appeal to the high supreme court. And so he gets to go there. He's going to go there. And Paul knew that. So Paul appealed to Caesar, which was who? Nero, who set ablaze the city of Rome, who killed Christians at the stake. Paul is willing to go there because he knows. He knows what God, the Holy Spirit, wants him to do, right? No doubt. And uh, so now we see a king named Agrippa come into the picture, and, and he's there to celebrate the fact that Festus is there, the new leader there. And so he comes on in, a King Agrippa, which I believe was the grandson of the first King Agrippa, I believe. 
And so he's there, and he's there with a woman, Bernice, and Bernice was, <laughs> was not a good woman either. She was married to somebody else while Agrippa was married to somebody else, and then Agrippa went after her, and it's a big, uh, it's a big to-do, right? It's just uh, it's awful. It's, really, it's like a soap opera. It's worse than a soap opera, right? And so here it is. It says, after some days had passed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and paid a courtesy call on Festus. Since they stayed there many days, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying, there's a man who was left uh, as a uh, prisoner by Felix. He says, when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders uh, of the Jews presented their case and asked for a judgment against him. I answer them that it's not the Romans' custom to give any man up before the accused confronts the accusers face to face and has an opportunity to give a defense concerning the charges. Therefore, when they had assembled here, I did not delay. The next day, he says, I, I sat at the judge's bench and ordered the man to be brought in. Concerning him, the accusers stood up and brought no charge of the sort I was expecting. So he tells exactly what happened to this king. Festus sits at the judge's bench. Paul's accusers bring no charges of what Festus was expecting. The Jews had, had none. They had nothing. They had no proof, had nothing. And I want you to look at this, and you're going to see uh, the next passage of Scripture. This is where I want to land and park a little bit on. Uh, I titled this message, How to Talk About Jesus Around Unbelievers. And so, listen, church, this is, we're a new church, right? Soon to be Hills Church, right? Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Isn't that awesome? Soon to be Hills Church. Uh, not right at the moment, but I will let you know, so continue how you sign your checks and stuff. Just do that the same way, right? And I had several people asking me. And listen, God is trying to do something in our midst. The fact that you're here, God is trying to do something in our midst. And he is doing something. He is doing a wonderful, great thing here. He has a community that he wants us to reach for the glory of God. And so when I look at this, I want you to look at what happens here. I taught how to talk about Jesus around unbelievers. And here's why. Look at verse 19. Here's Festus. Think about Festus. Think about what's going on in Festus's life right now. He's a new guy. He doesn't know anything about what's happening here. And look, and he says so. Instead, he said they had some disagreements, as he's talking to Agrippa, with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man. Paul claimed to be alive. All right, so Festus is probably like going like, what? What are you talking about? And look what he says in verse 20, and this is where I want to hone in on. Since I was at a loss in a dispute over such things, I asked him if he wished to go to Jerusalem, but he tried uh, they're concerning these men and be tried they're concerning these matters you see festus really doesn't know what's really going on he's real confused and doesn't understand what the real problem is he really doesn't understand what the problem is listen folks when christians hear me argue about things right out it doesn't save anybody when Christians argue, argue among themselves and battle back and forth, listen, who gets saved? Nobody gets saved. Nobody. You say, well, Brother Phil, this isn't a Christian argument. Oh, but I beg to differ. It started out that way back in Jerusalem, here in Jerusalem. You know, when Paul brought up the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it started out that way. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection, but at the same time, this 
the other the Sanhedrin does, the, the, the Sanhedrin, but the Sadducees do not. And so it started out, and this is all started all stemmed from this. And there were all kinds of false accusations that were thrown at Paul being a Christian. It started out the way. Listen, we are going to part just here for a minute. We don't need to fight one another. You know why? Do you know why you don't need to fight another? Because the world does not know the difference concerning our churches. The unbeliever doesn't know about things of God. They don't know things concerning church. They don't know what we believe. Think about that. And what we don't believe. They don't know. They truly don't know. The world out there doesn't know the difference between Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist. Listen, Church of God, Methodist. They just don't. They don't even care. They don't even think about that. They don't know, folks. They just don't know. And it's our job to make things what? Simple for who? For everyone. We need to make it simple. I think that's why we have such an issue today. Because we're so divided within the house of the Lord in so many different ways that sometimes we don't even see it. I'm right, you're not right. You're not right, I'm not right. I mean, we all point fingers at each other. And we got three pointing back at who? Ourselves. And we need to think about that, folks. Listen, like Festus, people who don't know Jesus are confused about who he is. People who don't know, a lot of people are confused about who Jesus is. Is he a good man? Is he a God man? Is he just a man? Is he a nutcase? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Did that not happen? Are these fables? Are these myths? Are these just stories that happen? And listen, and we have the answer. No, they're not. Everything is true about Jesus that we know about Jesus. Everything is absolutely evidence-backed. It's proof. We know it, especially when Jesus changes your heart, right? Personally, he lives inside of each and every one of us. Sometimes, listen, and we need to think about this. The unbelieving world, just how they think. And they don't think the same way you and I think sitting in the pew. They don't think the same way. And I'm going to give you an example. How about we stop using churchy Christianese language? You ever heard that term, Christianese? Christianese language when communicating to the world. Words we use that don't mean anything to the world. They don't. Think about it. Woohoo! I'm washed in the blood. What's the world going to look at you and go, What? Are you a fruitcake or what? Are you a nut? Listen, that doesn't translate to the world the way we think it should translate to it because they don't know who Jesus They don't know about, you know, they may have heard about blood, they don't, they, but they never really looked into it, a lot of people. I want you to think about the things that we say and how we talk with people. Or maybe, hey, I've been converted. You know what that means. We know what that means. But does the world know what that means? Absolutely not. So when we're talking with people, trying to witness to them, we've got to think about how we need to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we present the gospel? How do we do that? It's like the word repentance. Instead of saying repentance, they're turning back to God. Isn't that much more understandable? They don't know what repentance, repentance, what are you talking about? What, what, what is repentance? What does that mean? Most average worldly per- person has no clue. Or like sin, even sin, even the word sin. Maybe, maybe I should say my rejection of God. That's what sin is, right? Or grace. They don't know what grace is. You know, they think it's praying a meal at supper time. Right? Sometimes we do that. God's goodness and generosity in spite of whether or not we deserve it. That's what grace is, right? Or maybe the term born again. Oh, you're one of those born again folks. 
Bob Ferry can attest to that, right? Some people know and some people don't know. Some people think if you're born again, that's just a strange thing. Like, what does that mean, born again? You're already born, dude. I mean, how can you be born again, right? Or maybe, it's, maybe you need to tell them, hey, listen, instead of using the word born again, say, hey, God has changed me from the inside out. That'd be much more, I mean, they would understand that, right? Or Savior and Lord. Maybe we should call Jesus our forgiver and our leader. Something to think about. Some people don't understand. Non-Christians, people who are discovering Jesus for the first time. You know, that's what we need to do. Or I'm just going to pray for the Lord to build a hedge around you, right? They don't understand that. We understand that, but they don't. How does a lost person translate, uh, uh, translate all of that? How about we don't talk about Jesus in the Greek? Hmm. How about we don't talk about Jesus in the Hebrew? Or how about we don't argue over what translation of the Bible we use? And we do that a lot. We confuse lost people when we do that, and we really do confuse them. We really do. Well, I've got the joy of the Spirit today. That's confusing to lost people. They have no idea. Man, that's our mission field, this lost people. They don't know. They don't know these terminologies. Why can't we talk about Jesus in a way that people can understand? It's insane the things we insist on fighting over. It's crazy, really. Amen? It is. Here we have Uncle Festus at Christmas sitting around the table who doesn't know anything about Jesus while we as a church family will fight over things that just don't matter. That does happen to us. So, what he experiences is nothing about Jesus. In fact, sometimes when we all live, sometimes we live as if we're taking, uh, as, as, as if we love Satan rather than Jesus. We need to think about that. Would you agree with me that arguing never leads anyone to Jesus? Does arguing ever lead people to Jesus? Never does. I've never seen anyone come to Jesus because I argue with them. How many of you are motivated to change when somebody argues with you? How many? Raise your hand. I see one over here. Yeah, right. I'll get you afterward, brother. <laughs> but think about that. It's so true, right? Listen, when Danine and I argue, I am never mo motivated to be better. Never at the moment. Then I come to my senses, right? A little wall-to-wall counsel never hurt anybody. No, she doesn't do that. Sometimes. Folks, the church can argue over so many differences that we miss the real reason we come to worship. Jesus. Right? Festus here says, y'all are nuts. That's what he's saying here in verse 20. He doesn't know he's at a loss. He don't know what to do. He's like totally befuddled. He has no clue what to do. He just feels so lost. He says, y'all are nuts. We could argue over differences and never present the real truth of what people need to know. Listen, you want to turn everybody off in a small group? Everyone fight with each other in a small group and see what happens. And believe me, that's happened. <laughs> I don't think it's happened here. If it has, I don't know about it. But it's something to think about. Everyone fight with each other in a small group. Hey, listen, that would be ugly, I think. So I have a question for you all this morning. 
How can you help people understand who Jesus is? Come on, folks. Think about this. A lost world doesn't know what you and I know. And they certainly don't know the language that you and I know when it comes to the Scripture and to things in the Word of God. So sometimes we've got to really put on our thinking caps and think about how we're going to present the gospel, how we're going to talk about sin, how we're going to talk about um, repentance, how we're going to talk about sanctification, how we're going to talk about, I mean, those words are like foreign. They're a different language for them. And sometimes we don't think about that, and we need to think about that when we go out. So number one, fill in your blank. Here we go. Here's how you do it, by being clear who Jesus is. By being clear who Jesus is. So I think about it. So why do we go through the book of Acts for over a year? Think about this. Why did I go from Easter over a year ago and then continue through the book of Acts? It's over a year and we're still in it. Amen? Let me tell you why. Because you don't know what you don't know. Right? Amen. You don't know what you don't know. I mean, I think back at Acts 1.8. This is the great commission in the book of Acts for you and for me. What did it say? It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know? And so, and, so, and so this is what happens, folks. It would be like, I'll give you a little illustration like this. It would be like, I could go to Bill Warden, right? And I can ask him to give me the physics of how and why an airplane flies. And Brother Bill would say, <laughs> it just goes, right? It just goes. Flap your wings, it goes, right? So, see what I mean? He just don't know. He just doesn't know that the thrust ratio and the wing and the lift that's produced by the airflow over top of the wing creates a vacuum and lifts that heavy jet and metal in the air. He just doesn't know it. He just gets on it, rides in, and hope it stays in the air, right? And that's what he does. Trust that the pilots know what they're doing. They're flying the right direction. Man, it takes a lot of faith to fly an airplane, don't it? Think about that. But that's so true. Bill can't explain that stuff. You see, you must be crystal clear who Jesus is. Amen? So important. So many voices that are not clear about who Jesus is. I'll give you another illustration. Anybody ever watch the show, The Voice? Anybody ever watch that? Them awesome singers that people get up there and sing. They're like, they're like nobodies. They sing, and now they're somebodies, Right? It's an awesome thing. they got the panel of judges in their chairs, and they hear them. They're turned around, and they smack the chair, and it flips around. Oh, you know, oh, he's so young. He's such a little girl, you know. And they're singing beautifully. They're singing the house down the wall. I'm thinking, how does a 16-year-old sing like that? I mean, they're not old enough to know what singing is, just about, you know. And so, but they can sing like that. So here's a lady, a young girl sings a gospel song, kind of like from the 1940s, right? And she brings the house down with it. I mean, it's like people are, amen, amen, they're pitching babies from the balconies, all that stuff, right? That's what they're doing, right, in this place. She's like bringing the house down. And then, and then Blake Shelton, you know, the country bumpkin Blake Shelton, I mean, uh, Blake, Blake Shelton, he says this. This is what he says. He says, that's what I love. He says, what I love about being and living in America is that we can all connect to God in our own way. He says that. He is not clear about who Jesus is, is he? Not at all. 
Let me translate it for you. That God is not up there, but he's down here, and that we can get to connect with God in whatever way we choose. That's what he's saying. And that's what the world is doing. Because they're hearing it. How many people do you think are watching that show? The whole globe is watching that show, I promise you. Millions and millions of people are tuning in, and that's what they're hearing. And, and they don't go to church, they don't hear the Word of God, unless they meet you in Walmart or Publix or somewhere, right? They meet you. But then what happens is we get kind of caught up in the moment. We end up bringing out these churchy words. Well, you've got to be born again. Well, that doesn't tell them. That tells them you're a weirdo, right? But we got to explain it. We've got to think about how we reintroduce, how we introduce the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to give them the word. We've got to give them a word that they understand and they can relate to, right? The problem is the Bible says that God is not down here, but he's where? He's up there. He is elevated. He is high and lifted up. He sits at the Father's right hand. He intercedes on all our behalf. That's what he's doing for all of us right now. Folks, we don't choose how we mend our broken relationships with God. God chooses how we uh, right our broken relationship with him. God chooses. I don't choose that. God chooses that. Always. Always. For he has chosen his only son, Jesus Christ, who is the only way to heaven to mend that relationship. It doesn't matter who you are, but it's whose you are. That's what it matters. All of us equally connect the way God has chosen, and that's through Jesus. Some people say, all roads lead to Jesus. Have you heard Oprah say that? All religions lead to Jesus. All religions lead to God. That's not so. It's not true. All roads do not lead home. They don't. I say, okay, big boy, get in your car, get on that road, and go home. And then hours later, just call me when I'll come pick you up when you don't make it home, right? All roads don't lead home. Jesus says, I am the what? The way. I'm the truth, the life. Remember, Paul said earlier last week, I am a person of the way. That's what he said. God is life, and all of life comes from him. God chooses how to fix our broken relationships, not us. We don't choose that. So how can you help people understand who Jesus is? First is by being clear who Jesus is, right? Number two is living in submission to Jesus. Living in submission to Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 6, 46, listen to what he says. These are very important words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? Hmm. Jesus is not your buddy. He is not. He is not your buddy. He is your Lord or he's nothing at all. He is not your buddy. When my son was little, <laughs> I used to tell him what to do. And he would respond back and he said, okay, dad, I'll get to it. I said, no, I'll get to you. <laughs> and that's the way we do as Christians. You'll say, hey, I'll get my small group together, and we will form a do-it committee. We'll break bread together. We'll get it 
we'll get to it someday. We'll get to it. We'll get to whatever it is God wants us to do someday. Listen, folks, we've got to present Jesus as Lord. He's not our buddy. Never is. God must be first in everything. And you know that being a genuine Christian is an attraction to those who are lost. It is an attraction. If you're a true blue through and through Christian, it is an attraction. Because you're going to do things that would be just, they won't get it. You'll serve them in such a way, they'll go, why would you do that? You ever had anybody do that? You ever have anybody give you change and they give you the wrong change? They give you too much, right? And then you went out to your car and you go, oh man, she gave me $20 too much, right? And what do you do? Oh, I started my car and drove off. No, 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 no. The true blue through and through Christian is going to do what? Go back in and say, listen, miss, you made a mistake. I've been there. And then they look at you with those deer in the headlight look like, uh, you're coming back here to give me 20 bucks that I mistakenly gave you and you're not taking it? Why is that? That's your open door to tell them why. Tell them about Jesus. Let them know. It's very attractive. You've got to be authentic. You've got to be responsible. That's the problem with the world and the Christian church, I think, today is they haven't seen authentic, real, true, blue, through and through Christians be doing the right thing. In fact, they're seeing a lot of people just kind of putting one leg in the world and one leg in the church. And we need to be mindful of that when we go out. It's so easy to get sucked in. I get it. Listen, I understand. I'm guilty too. I've gotten cut off in traffic before. And I'm like, eh, dude, what are you doing? And I got my Jesus bumper sticker on the back of my car. Right. Oh, yeah, that'll make you want to come to church. So we've got to think about things like that. It's so important for us. Listen, if I fake it, you might as well forget it with the world. They can tell. They got a meter. They got a meter that says, oh, fake. They got, got, they got that meter, the garbage meter, fake. They know it. They can see it a mile off. So how can I help people understand who Jesus is? Number three, you have to love people like Jesus. Amen? Jesus loved people. No one else loved like Jesus loved. At the Last Supper, Jesus loved Judas, and no one knew who the betrayer was. They all said, Lord, is it me? Uh, Lord, is it me? Peter, Lord, is it? It's probably me. <laughs> Lord, is it me? You know? I mean, think about that. He didn't give Judas away. He loved Judas. He could have gave him away. He could have hung him out to dry, and he didn't. We probably would have hung Judas out to dry. We say, get out of here, dude. You ain't part of this party no more. You're a betrayer. Jesus knew who the betrayer was. People need the gospel's love before we give them the gospel. You might want to write that down. I think that's cool. People need the gospel's love before we give them the gospel. Sometimes we have to earn the right to share the gospel to people. Sometimes we go up to them, we just got, hey, listen, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, show me. How can I serve these people here? Lord, how can I earn the right to be able to share the message of the gospel with these folks? What can I do, Lord? Help me to do that today. We all have to earn that right. The best way is loving them right where they are. 
That's how you do it. You love them right where they are. Amen? And whatever is happening in their lives. Now, love doesn't mean that we don't stand for the truth. Don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean we don't stand for the truth. Absolutely we stand for the truth. We don't compromise the truth ever. Ever. Do not compromise the Word of God. That's not what I'm saying here. Stand for the truth. Real love always speaks the truth. Real love speaks the truth, sometimes whether they like it or not. And the Lord may lead you to speak a truth that they may not like. And that happens. It happens for pastors a lot sometimes. And they don't like it. You know? There's a way to present truth, though, and not be condescending. Can we not do that? Can we not ask the Lord, hey, Lord, help me to be tactful to present the truth but not in a condescending way that would just make people's hearts get stone-hold cold and not want to listen. We all must exercise, and remember this, conviction with compassion. Rabbi Zacharias made that statement this past week. I was watching the thing on him. You know, he's passed and gone to be with the Lord. Rabbi Zacharias, what a great man of God. Hmm. And I was listening to him talk about it. He says, you know, a pastor asked him, he says, how do we reach a world today who is so backwards and so turned off, think the church is an offense to them? And that was his answer. He says, yeah, we have convictions, but we, but, but we, need, to minister, we need to minister to them our uh, convictions with compassion. Because they just don't know. They just don't understand. Sharing the truth, yes, but allow the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, to transform that person. Amen. Conviction with compassion. That's what we must do. Look at John 13 and 34. John 13, 34 says, I give you a new command. This is Jesus speaking. Love one another. He, didn't be, he wasn't selective in that. We're to love who? Everybody, right? Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for who? For one another. So why should we argue about everything? I could sit and talk with you about theology till you're blue in the face, and there's going to be something in there that I say that you're not going to agree with, every one of you. Think about that. Somewhere. But we must choose to love one another in spite of it amen it's like Denise was telling me yeah i used to you know she used to get mad at her son philip at philip sometimes and says right now big boy i don't like you too much so i've got to choose to love you right now right you ever done that you need to do that we need to do that listen we must major in the major things and at times let the minor things go Sometimes we have to do that. But many of us will die on the minor things, and that's sad. God desires a unified church. The enemy desires a separated church, a divided church, a destroyed church. That's what the enemy wants. And as we begin into our new church venture, as Hills Church, I can tell you, even right now, right now in the process of the transfer of everything from Cornerstone to Hills Church, I'm telling you right now, the enemy is trying to wreak havoc in your families. He's trying to wreak havoc with your pastor. He's trying to wreak havoc between the congregation and the pastor. 
Listen, he tries to do, there's all kinds of things happening in your personal lives, in your collective lives, in your individual lives. Listen, because Jesus is drawing, try, he's trying to do a great thing here, a wonderful thing here. And he's, he is, he's doing it already. Did you know that the seven weeks that we have been down, right? You know our offering has gone up? That's, that's, that's Jesus. You know what? That's Jesus. And that's, and that's, and that's listen, that's obedience to the commands of God that you guys are being obedient to, to the Lord. I know you know that this place matters or you wouldn't, you wouldn't be given to it. And I know that you know that God matters or you wouldn't be obeying his commands. And I appreciate that. I never have to preach on that. I've never had to. God has been blessing us this whole time. And there are churches right now that are getting government help. And I'm not saying that's a necessarily a bad thing, but that's something that we didn't feel that we needed to do here. And so I thank the Lord for that. If people are just faithful in their congregations, they need no help from outside sources. They really don't. That's where sometimes I think God wants us to exercise our faith. And how can we exercise our faith if we're not put in a position where we have to exercise that faith? Think about that. How is God, how, how is your faith being exercised? What are the impossible situations going on in your life, right? Where God maybe challenge you in faith. Hey, trust me, I'm here. I'm closer than a mother, sister, brother, father, anybody. I'm closer, I'm here. At the mention of my name, Jesus, there's power. I'm here, Jesus is here. I'm here with you, child of God. I'm here with you. Don't listen to those other voices. Don't listen to your circumstances. Don't listen to your situation. Listen to the God voice in your heart. Draw near to him, right? And he says, hey, what? Draw near to you. We must do that. You know, Christianity is not the only religion that teaches love, right? It's not. Muslims teach love. Buddhism, they teach love. They all teach love. You know what defines, you know what's different between us and them? Is knowing where that love comes from. See, they don't know where that love comes from. They really truly don't. We know in 1 John that we say that love emanates from who? It emanates from God. For he is the, the definition of love. The definition of love is the picture is holy God. He is the definition of love. Sending his only begotten son to die for us. So how can I help people understand who Jesus is? We must practice, here we go, self-control. <laughs> self-control, like Jesus, right? Listen, folks, the world has gone off the deep end. You're watching the news, my own town in Fayetteville. Last night, I found out that downtown in Fayetteville, right in the center of town, there's a roundabout in the center of the city, right? And in the center of the city, it used to be a marketplace, and it was a place where back in the day when the slaves were being sold, they were sold in this area. That thing was burnt down to the ground last night. And they tore up the city. And that's happening all over our country, folks. The world needs to see Jesus in us like never before. We must be different. And sometimes I think we failed at that. We must change. It has to start with us. Ephesians 4, listen, 
Starting in 17, it says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord. Paul says, You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Man, this sounds like watching the news last night. Think about that. It's just like watching the news. Rioting and looting. People are going in. I mean, I mean, I've been in a Target. That's a pretty big store. You know what I mean? And it's empty. And people are running out the door with gobs of stuff, and they're not even thinking nothing about it. They're Gentiles. That's exactly what they're doing. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts, they become callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more and more. And listen, they kept running back in the store, getting more, getting more, getting more. Just like we've seen with that young man being killed by the police officer. How wrong. I was so, listen, I was so, I saw that and I thought, oh, how horrible is that? And you know what? And my son, he, he's a sheriff, he, he, he's a detective in uh, Brunswick County in Wilmington, uh, North Carolina. And his sheriff, you know, his sheriff right away posted a thing and he said how that was, that was horrific that a sheriff, that, that police officers would do that to this man. And man, he rebuked it himself. The sheriff of the county where my son works rebuked it right away. Rebuked it. And so now I know like my son, at 5 o'clock tonight, there's going to be a protest in Wilmington. So y'all pray for him. Pray for that whole police force up there. He said, Dad, he said, he said, there's nothing that we can do. We're so outnumbered. We're outnumbered. We're outnumbered. Five, six, seven to one. What are we going to do? He said, that's the problem. Paul talks about these Gentiles. They were in and of the world. No thought of God at all. They were like heathens. Listen, folks, saying yes to Jesus means what? Saying no to yourself. When you say yes to Jesus, when you said yes to Jesus, you say no to yourself. But people will say, well, Jesus wants me to be happy. No, <laughs> Jesus wants you to go to heaven. <laughs> right? That's so true. How can I help people understand who Jesus is? Number five, you have to become generous like Jesus. Become generous like Jesus. You never know who's watching, who you can witness to because of generosity. Isaiah, we had the homegoing service for Brother Tim yesterday. So precious. And she made a statement. <laughs> and I told her, I said, online, I said, I'm going to write this in my Bible. This is what she said. This, was their, this is how they live. Love people, not things. Use things, not people. I said, man, that's good. That's good stuff. In Acts 20, verse 35, it says, In every way I have shown you that by laboring like this, it is necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus. For he said this, It's more blessed to give than to what? Mm. By definition, that makes you and me all different. Amen? And so finally, how can I help people understand who Jesus is? Number six. By serving others like Jesus. Serving others like Jesus. At my former church, when I was up there, we had two services. 
kind of a fairly large church. And we had two sanctuaries, actually. We had a family life center, which was a sanctuary all of its own. And we had the main building, which was a, a, a sanctuary all of its own. And so we would have the earlier service in the main building and uh, with all the pews, just like we have sitting here. Over there, though, we had chairs. About 250, 300 chairs were put out. And they were lined up just so and all this kind of stuff, right? And so we'd have a, a 9.30 service in the old building, and in the Family Life Center, we would have an 11.11 service, more contemporary flavor and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. That was an all-purpose building, so it had to be utilized during the week. Well, every time church service was over, we'd have to tear down all the chairs. You know, and it was amazing to me as a pastor. I was up there. And I'd jump right in there, and we'd start stacking chairs. As soon as service was over, we'd start stacking chairs. But it was amazing to watch all the people just walk on out. They'd walk on out the door. I used to have some of the guys say, Pastor, Pastor, why are you stacking these chairs? I said, because Jesus would want me to. I, I, I need to serve. No different than you. I need to serve just like you. If I'm, as a pastor, not willing to do what you're doing, what good is what I say? It's no good. It's called being a servant leader. Be a servant leader as you serve. It was an honor and privilege to serve others while I served Jesus. I have a verse, Hills Church. I don't want anyone to ever forget this verse. I want you to highlight this verse in your Bible. I want you to circle it, whatever you need to do. Write it on your mirrors, on your sticky notes. Remember it, memorize it, know it. I want you to never forget this verse, amen? Never forget this verse. Mark 10, 45. Write down Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is our model. Every time, everywhere, we should be serving. And I should say to my students, students, if you're not serving, you're swerving. I used to tell them that. If you're not serving, you're swerving. Come on, man. Who do you serve this week? Why do we serve? You know why we serve? Because in the, in the end, it gives us the right to point people to Jesus. They're not going to listen to you. They will listen to you more when you're serving them than just showing up and saying, Hey, you need to be born again. And not explain what that means. They'll look at you like a fruitcake. Amen? Well, praise the Lord that you guys are here this morning. Let's bow our heads. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I pray that this message makes you think, it's made me think about things I say, things I do, how I respond to people, what my face looks like in public. <laughs> it causes me to think a lot of things, how I treat my wife, how I treat my kids, how I treat you, how you treat me, <laughs> how we treat each other. Man, listen, if you don't know Jesus, your Savior, this morning, listen, he wants to save you from yourself, and he wants to save you from the evil one, which is Satan. Satan wants to blind your eyes so you can't see the truth, folks. But Jesus wants to take the scales off your eyes. 
and he wants to do that right now. If Jesus is squeezing your heart this morning, I want to ask you, invite Jesus into your heart, into your mind, into your life. Say something like, say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, which means, I've missed the mark, which means I've done a lot of wrong things that I knew were not right, they were wrong. Ask him to come in and forgive you all the wrong things you've ever done in your past. And he not only will forgive you of all the things you've done in your past, he's going to forgive you the things you did today and tomorrow. Amen. What a blessed hope we have in Jesus. So invite him into your heart. Ask him to come in. Ask him to wash away your every sin stain, I pray. Say, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. I believe that you died on that cross to wash away my every sin. I ask you, Jesus, the only hope for all the world to come into my life and to save me, Jesus, from myself. And Lord, I promise, I want to turn around. I want to stop doing the things I've been doing that I know are wrong, that I know are wrong. And I want to turn around, Jesus, and I want to chase you down for all your worth from this day forward, from this moment on, Jesus. I want to chase after you. And I want to leave behind all my garbage and all my stuff. I want to leave it at your altar, Lord Jesus, that you would take me and transform my life. Lord, begin doing it now, inside out. Father, I thank you for your sacrifice for me. I thank you, Lord, for coming into my life right now. And Lord, I trust you with all that I am with all that I have to run after you with all of my heart. I thank you, Jesus, for saving me today. Christian, I've said some hard things here today. And Lord, it's my prayer that you would just ask Jesus to save you, to touch your heart, to repent of your sin, to know that if you confess your sin, that Jesus is faithful just to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and that you can walk out of here or you can be in your living room you can get up with a clean slate as if you'd never ever sinned confess your unconfessed sin to him today as he reminds you of what that is give it to him today Father we thank you for this time this morning and Lord we continue to pray for our country and our nation pray for all of our cities that are going through the rioting and demonstrations. Peaceful protests, we get that, Lord. We're all about that. That's a right that we have as a free nation to peacefully protest. But when we turn it over to rebellion and righteous and destruction and killing and hurting, Lord, that's not a peaceful protest. Lord, put a lid on those people, God, that they would open up their eyes to see that that is the wrong thing to do. Father, I thank you for this time together. Go with us now as we depart. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said what? Amen. Amen. Now listen, if you brought your offering, we're going to have an usher at every door. And they're going to take up the offering as you guys exit today. I want to thank you all for being here. You guys have been so good. It was so good. If I kept you here longer, it's because I had seven weeks of nobody. You all get me? But I love you. I want us to sing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. 
as we leave today. Can we do that today? What a friend we have in Jesus. Thank you, Tim Bailey. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in Peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Y'all have a great week, and y'all can go ahead and exit us. We'll just keep singing and playing. Love y'all. We'll see y'all next week. Next, see you Wednesday. Temptations is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share Jesus knows our every weakness take it to the Lord in prayer last verse Everybody said what? Amen. Amen. Wave it, everybody. Bye. Love y'all. See y'all next week. God bless you. Amen. 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 And oh me. <laughs> oh, that's there you go.